Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Excellent. Thanks, Abby. <clears throat> so good morning, guys. I've uh, one thing I miss when I'm when I'm preaching on uh, on video like this is 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 kind of looking at someone's face. I can quite uh, I, I kind of feed off uh, whenever I'm preaching just the fact that people are looking back at me and, and you get reactions and stuff. So I've actually got my wife, Jess, today set up behind behind my screen. So I can kind of look at her and see her reactions as I'm speaking, which is going to help me. So if you wonder why I'm looking slightly above uh, the camera lens, then that's why. So this morning, um, we're going to be uh, looking at powerful weapons. We're going to be thinking about powerful weapons. And I wonder if I was to ask you um, what the most powerful weapon in the universe is, I wonder what you'd say. Perhaps you'd think of kind of a a weapon like a, a nuclear weapon. They're pretty powerful, right? Perhaps that's what you'd think of if I said, what's the most powerful weapon in the world? Perhaps you think of uh, just kind of a military force like the, the US army or perhaps an army from the past like the Roman army or something like that. Or perhaps if I was to ask you what the most powerful weapon in the universe is, maybe you'd think of something from kind of sci-fi. So last week, Andy went into uh, amazing depth really on kind of the Marvel cinematic universe and and he mentioned uh, Thor's hammer didn't he maybe think of something like that if I was to to ask you what the most powerful weapon in the universe is someone once said that the pen is mightier than the sword didn't they and perhaps you you would kind of look at this more philosophically and you'd say well you know maybe one of these big media moguls with their media empires perhaps they've got the most powerful weapon in the universe well I want to suggest to you this morning that none of these man-made weapons, even ones from sci-fi kind of uh, alternate universes, none of these are actually as powerful as uh, weapons that we as believers are given by God. This morning, I want to say to you that God equips you, if you're a believer, he equips you and me with a mightier weapon than any of these. That's a pretty big statement. So, uh, you know, I want you to uh, let that sink in for a moment and not just let it wash over you, because actually I believe that God empowers you with a mightier weapon than the US Army or a nuclear bomb or uh, a media empire. And that weapon is prayer. So this morning, we're going to look at a story from the book of Isaiah. We've been going through the book of Isaiah recently. We're still in that book. And we're going to see a story from around 700 BC where uh, we see the power of prayer. We see what a powerful weapon prayer is. So I'm going to go through the story kind of in a story format. And we're going to read uh, various verses from the book of Isaiah from verse 30. Uh, from chapter 37 as we go through but first of all I want to I want you to picture that you're in uh, Judah in 700 BC so 2700 years ago and there's a national crisis and we have a national crisis at the moment don't we with coronavirus an international crisis we all know uh, that we're in this situation in our homes 
Uh, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we know that it's a crisis. And in Judah in 700 BC, they were in a crisis because Israel, their neighbor to the north, had been invaded by the Assyrian army. The Assyrian uh, superpower uh, of the era, which was invading nations left, right, and center. And Judah was in a national crisis because almost all of their fortified cities had been invaded. Imagine that you're in that time, 2700 BC, and you're in this nation, and, and most of the nation has already fallen to this mighty army. And at this time, uh, Judah's capital, Jerusalem, still stands. And it's Jerusalem where Hezekiah, the king of Judah, resides. Imagine you're in Jerusalem 2,700 years ago, a city of a few thousand, a fortified city. And you've heard the other cities have fallen. The Assyrian army is coming. It's a crisis. And you know this army's going to come for you. If they've taken these other cities, they've invaded these other nations, they're going to come for Jerusalem, the capital, the crown jewel of Judah. They're going to come for Jerusalem, you know. And then eventually you hear it. You hear the marching in the distance. You hear the rumble. And you look out from your elevated position in Jerusalem and you see them coming. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers this army that has destroyed and conquered all throughout the region. There's probably the most powerful army in the world and it's on your doorstep. The Assyrian army was a powerful weapon. We were talking about powerful weapons. This was the most powerful weapon in the world at that time. This army, it's on your doorstep. And so what does Hezekiah the king do? Well, last week we heard uh, this part of the story. Hezekiah sent out a couple of representatives to meet with an Assyrian representative. And this guy, he, he threatened them. And he said, you know, we're going uh, to come. You can't stop us. And he spoke in, in Hebrew so that the people in Jerusalem could hear. He shouted, and, and you're in the city and you can hear this. Representative saying, we're going to come. We're going to invade. We're going to destroy you. And he gave a, a letter, sent a letter to be given to King Hezekiah. And to summarize what the letter said, it said this, it said, don't trust in your God because we've invaded every other nation and their gods have offered them no protection. Your God cannot protect you from our army. We will destroy you. And so what does Hezekiah do? Already all of his fortified cities have been taken. His neighbor to the north, Israel, has fallen. Hezekiah in his city of a few thousand, what does he do receiving this letter with his superpowers army on his doorstep? Let's read Isaiah 37 verses 14 to 20. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel. You are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. 
listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. Sennacherib is the Assyrian king. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations and they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. This is Hezekiah's response. Hezekiah, the king of Judah, responsible for Jerusalem, he's confronted by this army, this this, uh, overwhelming might and force, and he prays to God. He says, God, overcome this army that this king who says he's greater than you lord jesus or lord god you can overcome him he prays and cries out to god what happens next well after hezekiah uh, prays to god the prophet isaiah receives a message from god let's read verse uh, chapter 37 verses 21 22 this is what the lord the god of israel says because you prayed about king sennacherib of assyria The Lord has spoken this word against him. God speaks through through Isaiah to Hezekiah. And I'm going to summarize because there's a lot of verses here. So to summarize the next 10 verses, God says this. Yes, King Sennacherib, you invaded those nations and destroyed those fortified cities. But that was my plan all along. That was what I wanted you to do. You did that because I wanted you to do that. That's what God says. And then he says this, verses 33 and 34, his armies will not enter Jerusalem. They'll not even shoot an arrow at it. They'll not march outside its gates with their shields, nor build banks of earth against its walls. The king Sennacherib will return to his own country by the same road on which he came. He'll not enter this city, says the Lord. And what happens next? Verses 36 and 37, that night the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. And this is how Jerusalem survived. God with his unique right as creator of the universe, he wiped out the Assyrian army. Confronted by this overwhelming force, it was prayer that was the weapon that Hezekiah used to overcome the might of this army. What an awesome uh, story of the power of prayer. And what we see from this story, which we're going to really focus on for the rest of our time, is that actually God uses prayer to bring about his victory. We see it in verse 21 and 22, right? In case you missed it, let me read it again. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib of Assyria, this is what I'm going to do. Because you have prayed to me. Because Hezekiah prayed, God acted. Because of one man's short prayer, God took down the fiercest weapon in the world, the fiercest army in the world. Actually, when you pray to God, the creator of the universe, your father, 
you're wielding that same power. Tim Keller says this about the power of prayer. Prayer, even though it's often draining, even an agony, is the greatest source of power that is possible. In this case, King Hezekiah prayed, God took down a mighty army, snuffed out the mightiest of weapons. And so <clears throat> when we think about this, when we think about the power of prayer and the fact that God commands us to pray, there's an interesting kind of, uh, interesting, uh, something that feels almost like a bit of a contradiction. So something that I skipped over in our story were these verses, okay, in verse 26 and 27, I summarized this. God said, have you not heard? I decided this long ago. Long ago, I planned it, and now I'm making it happen. This is when God is saying to Sennacherib, hey, you only invaded those places because I let you. God says, long ago, I planned it. I planned for you to crush those cities into heaps of rubble. You see, something that we read throughout the Bible is that God is sovereign, right? God has plans that he's made right at the beginning, that are being uh, fulfilled as we uh, go through time. God has planned everything. God is sovereign. And yet at the same time, he wants us to pray. And we read that because we pray, things happen. So God is sovereign. He's planned everything. And yet he, he wants us to ask him to do things. Um, so, you know, I just want to address this quickly because I think for some people, this can be quite difficult. It can be, you know, I hear it a lot. Why, you know, if God is sovereign, why pray? What, you know, what's the point in that? Well, there's three thoughts I want to give to you now quickly on why I think God wants us to pray and ask him for things. Why it's God's design to bring about his purposes through our prayer. Why does God do it that way? I want to offer you three thoughts on why that is. Firstly, when we pray to God, it glorifies him. You know, the reason that God has created the reason that creation exists, the reason that you and I exist, uh, is actually primarily for God's glory. That's why God has created. That is the message uh, of scripture that primarily creation exists to glorify God. And when we pray, it serves that purpose. It glorifies God. John 14, 13, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do that the father may be glorified in the son. See, when we pray to God, we're demonstrating that we trust God above everything else, right? When we pray to God, we're showing our obedience to God. We're showing our dependence on him, our love for him. When we pray to God, it glorifies him. I think that's one of the reasons why God's design is that we would ask him to do the things that he does, right? That, that God would bring about his purposes in that way. Secondly, um, you may have heard this kind of uh, analogy before, because uh, God is a father, right? And, and, and often a father will involve their child in things that they don't necessarily need them in order to complete, but it's their delight to do that. You know, Proverbs 3 verse 12 says that God delights in his children. I'm gonna give you an illustration. And when I was a child, I remember when I first got my own bedroom, okay? I didn't have to share with my sisters anymore. And uh, my dad and I went and bought a bed and we came back and we were assembling it. And my dad involved me in the assembly of this bed. And um, I, he didn't need me to do that. In fact, it was counterproductive. I actually did, did significant damage to the bed in the construction of, of the bed. But my dad involved me in that just because it delighted him, because I'm his child and he loves me and he wanted to do that with me. I think the second reason that God asks us to, to pray and ask him uh, to do things 
And the second reason that that's the way that God works is that actually God delights in his children. He wants us to do things with him. And thirdly, uh, I think that prayer changes our hearts. Prayer changes us. Uh, Tim Keller says this in his book on prayer. Prayer gives us relief from the melancholy burden of self-absorption. In other words, if that's a bit wordy for you, uh, when we pray, it takes our focus off ourselves and puts our focus onto God. Okay, when we pray, actually it changes our hearts. It helps us to realign our focus onto God. And so those are three reasons I think that God's design is this way. That although God is sovereign and he has plans, actually his design is that our prayer is how he achieves those plans. Because it glorifies him, because he delights in us, and because actually when we pray it changes us. So we're going to kind of start to conclude now. You know, what we've seen this morning is an awesome story from the Bible, from history of how Jerusalem was spared from this mighty Assyrian army. Yes, uh, Sennacherib had a mighty weapon in his armed forces of hundreds of thousands, but Hezekiah in prayer had a mightier weapon, a more powerful weapon. And we have access today to that same weapon you if you're a believer have access to that same power and that same weapon as a force to overcome and yet just in closing you know i want to i want to say maybe maybe you would say this is my experience of, of prayer i don't feel like uh, when i pray uh, i have that same power or perhaps you feel like your prayers don't get answered in the way that you expect. Well, again, from his book on prayer, Tim Keller uh, kind of um, addresses that in this way, which I think is quite helpful. God will either give us what we ask when we pray or will give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. You see, we don't have the perspective that God has. And so very often uh, when we pray, um, we, don't, we think what we're asking for is the best thing. But actually it's not because we don't see what God sees. We don't have his zoomed out perspective of all eternity in every detail. And so uh, sometimes we won't get what we ask for, but maybe we'll get what we would have asked for if we knew everything God knew. Okay. And so I just want to offer that as an encouragement. So what should we pray for? Well, firstly, I think do pray for your circumstances. Do pray for your daily bread as Jesus, uh, as Jesus said that we should, the things that you need. Uh, but, the best thing that we can pray for, uh, I would say, is actually what Jesus instructs us to pray for in Matthew's gospel. And so we've seen this, we've, we've looked at this idea that actually God is sovereign and he has plans. And we see, you know, Matthew 24, Jesus, Jesus uh, highlights this. He says, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus says, hey, uh, actually, the whole world is going to hear the gospel and then I'm going to come back and bring my ultimate victory. There's no ifs and buts. Jesus says this will happen. This is God's sovereign will. And yet in Matthew chapter nine, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus says, Hey, I'm, I'm gonna, my gospel is going to reach the ends of the earth. I'm going to be victorious. I'm going to come back. This will happen. And yet he says, pray for this to happen. 
He says, the means about which this will come is through prayer. That's how I'm going to do it, is through my people praying. And so I want to say to you, pray about your daily bread, but even more, pray that God's kingdom would advance. Let's, uh, let's believe, actually, that when we pray, that is the way that God brings about his purposes. That's the way in which God's will uh, is, is fulfilled in this earth. And so when you pray, you can pray from a position knowing actually God will be victorious. Jesus will return. His plans will be fulfilled, which is, which is liberating and it's a source of hope. And you can know as well that the way that God wants to achieve that is through your prayers and my prayers. So in closing, as believers, we have access to this mighty weapon. Prayer is a mighty weapon. It's a mightier weapon than anything else in the world. Sometimes you may not feel that, but it's true. And this story from Isaiah is just a demonstration of that, something that can give us faith uh, and hope in God and in the power of prayer. So I want to pray to close, and then I'm going to hand over to Abby. Yeah, Lord, we, we love you, Father. We thank you, Father, that you, uh, that you choose to involve us in what you want to do father that you are sovereign you are in control you have plans and there is great freedom for us in that knowing that it's not down to us to give you the right solutions god that actually you are sovereign you are in control and yet the way that you want to bring about your good plans for this world is through our prayer lord so i just yeah lord i just pray that this would be a reality for us uh, lord jesus that we would be a prayerful people uh, that we would uh, spend time praying to you uh, about the growth and advance of your kingdom and about our daily bread as well, Lord Jesus. Uh, we love you. Amen.